Aaron. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Are you walking in the spirit of adoption? Don't answer too quickly, friends. Because, you see, there are two households. Many of us, many who profess the name of Christ, are actually living as if they're in the other household. They're putting their trust in the wrong places. And because of that, they're walking in the spirit of fear. But those who are walking in the spirit of adoption are not walking in the spirit of fear, Because God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. So today we want to talk about this matter of the spirit of adoption. What does it mean to live in the spirit of adoption? This is more important than you might think. But before we get into that in depth, let's just talk a little bit about adoption. When I was practicing law... There were a number of adoptions that I was able to facilitate and perform. Well, actually, facilitate the legal aspects of it so that the court itself could decree the adoption. Right now, there are 428,000 children in the United States that are living in foster care. 135,000 children are adopted in the United States each year which means that two-thirds of those that are living in foster care don't get adopted each year. More than 60% of children in foster care spend two to five years before being adopted, and some never get adopted. In 2015, over 670,000 children spent time in U.S. foster care. There are 1.5 million adopted children in the United States. A million, isn't it? I mean, interesting, isn't it? Nearly 100 million Americans have adoption in their immediate family somewhere. 37% of adopted children are non-Hispanic white, compared with 73% adopted parents of which are non-Hispanic white. The average child waits for an adopted family for more than three years. The average age of children waiting for an adoption or adoptive family is eight. U.S. citizens completed 19,942 international adoptions in 2007, which declined to 9,300 in 2011 as international adoptions became more restrictive. Every year, there are about 1.3 million abortions. Only 4% of women with unwanted pregnancies place their children through adoption. Well, that gives us at least a thumbnail sketch of adoption, but what does it really mean? What does adoption really mean? That's what we want to take a look at here today on Viewpoint, because much of what adoption means in the 
legal aspect in our country also has spiritual implications, and the spiritual implications also have legal implications. So today on Viewpoint, we're going to be focusing on that, and please don't think that this is not an issue for you. This may be more of an issue for you than you even possibly imagined. A number of years ago, I was reading through the scripture and came to a place in the book of Revelation. Yes, the book of Revelation. We're talking about adoption. The book of Revelation. And I came to the passage in Revelation chapter 11 where it's talking about the two great witnesses, the end time witnesses. And as I was reading that passage, it talks about how they are going to testify of the Lord. They're going to uh, be a very prominent prophetic uh, duo uh, there. And the world is going to do everything it can to destroy them, to eradicate them and their spirit from the earth. But God is going to protect them as his sons for a period of time, about three years, three and a half years, And then he's going to remove his protective hand, and the Bible says that they will be killed. They'll be killed by the spirit of the world. They'll they'll be killed in the name of the spirit of the world. To attempt to destroy their adoptive nature before God. Because the world will despise and hate that adopted nature. But the Bible also goes on to say this. When they are killed, their bodies will lie in the street, singular, of that city, singular, which spiritually is called both Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Yes, that's exactly what Revelation 11.8 says. When I came across that passage, I was dumbfounded. It was so mysterious Their bodies are going to lie in the street, singular, of that city, singular, which spiritually, spiritually is called both Sodom and Egypt. And our Lord was crucified there. What could that possibly mean? And so I stopped dead in my tracks. And I said, Lord, I cannot go on until you reveal the implication of this passage. Out of that came a book called Out of Egypt. A prophetic call to the end-time church out of Egypt. A prophetic call to the end-time church. You see, God, in his great mercy and love, called Israel, his adopted son, out of Egypt. But he couldn't get enough Egypt out of them to even allow them into his promised land. So they had been adopted by God, but did not live in the spirit of that adoption. How many of those people who left Egypt, accountable adults, walked in the spirit of adoption? How many of them? Well, the Bible actually tells us. There were 599,998 men, plus women and children, but the men of accountable age, 21 and over, or 20 and over, but not one of them walked in the spirit of adoption 
except for Joshua and Caleb. Only Joshua and Caleb walked in the spirit of adoption. So what was the consequence of them walking in the spirit of adoption? They entered the promised land. What was the consequence of those who refused to live in the spirit of adoption, even though they were adopted? They couldn't get into the promised land. God said, no, you don't live like a member of my family. You're not coming in. Now, remember, they were called by his name. They were the physical seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, heirs according to the promise of God. But they didn't walk in the spirit of adoption. Do you? Are you sure? That's what we want to talk about here today on Viewpoint, how to walk in the spirit of adoption. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Today we talk about how to live in the spirit of adoption from God's viewpoint, not from man's viewpoint, not from your denomination's viewpoint, not from your favorite uh, pastor's viewpoint, but from God's viewpoint. And he makes that viewpoint very, very clear. When When the fullness of time was come, God, because of his mercy sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that you and I might receive the adoption of sons. The adoption. Notice he didn't say you will receive it. He said you might receive it. Well, on what basis? On what basis would you receive the adoption of sons? And let's suppose that, indeed, you did receive the adoption of son, but refused to walk in it, refused to walk in the spirit of adoption. Would you get the benefits of that adoption? Jesus had to come out of Egypt. Did you know that? The Bible says in the book of Hosea, out of Egypt have I called my son. You may recall that Mary and Joseph were instructed to take Jesus down into Egypt that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. In fact, the Bible says that in the last days, God will again call his son out of Egypt. Again? Well, yes, because if we go back to the book of Exodus, chapter 13, we find that Moses said to the people, that is the children of Israel, Heirs according to the promise. He said, remember this day in which you came from Egypt, out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by the strength of the hand of the Lord, he brought you out from this place. He brought you out of the house of bondage. But what if you're brought out of the house of bondage, 
but still have a hankering for the house of bondage. In other words, you're adopted and you're brought out of Egypt for the adoption, but you refuse to walk in it. That's what happened to Israel. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that those things, the things that happened to them in coming out of Egypt, happened to them for our example, unto whom the ends of the world are come. Therefore, he said, take heed that what happened to them does not happen to you. And you thought, you see, the spirit of adoption was not going to have anything to do with prophecy. Oh, it has everything to do with prophecy. That's why we're talking about, that's why, in fact, I believe the Lord led me to an understanding of this nature of coming out of Egypt. It is the number one theme of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, that's what I discovered. Over 400 times the words out of Egypt or similar words can be found from Genesis to Revelation, out of Egypt. But what does it mean? The children of Israel were taken out of Egypt, but God couldn't get Egypt out of them. He could not get the spirit of Egypt out of them. And that's why Moses had such a horrible time with the children of Israel, murmuring, complaining, and always hankering to go back. And they had an entitlement attitude, the spirit of Egypt. I want what I want the way I want it, and I don't want to do God's will. Well, I I want to do God's will, but not if I don't like it. So they walked in the spirit of of Egypt rather than in the spirit of the Lord. They did not walk in the spirit of adoption, but they were rescued from the house of bondage. And that's Satan's household. You see, there are only two households. There's the household of Satan and the household of God. Only two. Yeshua, Jesus Christ, was sent by the Father in the fullness of time, to extend an invitation that even though you and I as Gentiles were not even part of the commonwealth of faith, shall we say, that is those who had been called by the name of the Lord and offered the spirit of adoption, we weren't part of that, but he allowed us to be grafted in. In other words, to be adopted into that uh, relationship that Israel had with God. But the problem is, you see, that Israel didn't walk in that relationship. Israel was adopted, but refused to walk in the spirit of adoption. So it's not the adoption in and of itself that counts. It's whether you walk in the spirit of adoption. But what does that look like? What? are the implications of that. Well, one of those that certainly has tremendous impact for us in this day and hour is the aspect of fear. If we're walking in the spirit of fear and anxiousness constantly, we're not walking as an adopted son or daughter. We're walking as if we're still in Satan's household, trusting him Obviously, we're not trusting God, because if we were, we wouldn't be walking in the spirit of fear. We'd be walking in the spirit of adoption, because God has not given us, you, me, 
as professing followers of Christ, the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Are you beginning to see how this works? But as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, it doesn't mean that you weren't adopted in that sense or had the opportunity to walk in the spirit of adoption. It just means you're not going to get the benefits. How many children, and believe me, and I'm sure you know of adopted kids that don't walk in the spirit of that adoption. They cause their parents all kinds of problems. We've seen it firsthand in those uh, in our extended family. Very painful. As far as I know, there were at least three adopted children in our broader extended family over the past, say, uh, 50 years. And watching the trajectory of them, we have seen how one of them just absolutely repudiated the spirit of adoption and walked openly and notoriously in the spirit of Satan. It was unbelievable, just obvious, notorious. Completely missed the benefit of that adoption to this very day. So one of the clear illustrations that we're not walking in the spirit of adoption is fear. If you live in fear, you are living in the spirit of Egypt. Now, how does that translate now into our times from a prophetic standpoint? Well, here's what Jesus said about that in the book of Luke. He said, in these end times, men's hearts will fail them for fear for the things that are coming upon the earth. Now, if you don't want your heart to fail you for fear, the things that are coming upon the earth, you must know what it means to walk in the spirit of adoption and then begin to walk in it. The Bible says that the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Well, that's kind of a judicial statement, like a legal statement, heirs. But the heirs don't always get the benefit of their heirship. Did you know that? Did you know that not that even though under the law, an adopted child is entitled to be treated as a natural-born child, an heir, but not all natural-born children get the benefit of the heirship because the parent disenfranchises that child. Why? Because the child refuses to walk in the spirit of the family. Are you beginning to get the picture here? In other words, oftentimes children, and yes, adopted children, walk as if they've been abandoned. They may not have been abandoned, but they walk as if they've been abandoned. They walk 
in the bondage, the house of bondage of the spirit of Egypt. So as we move forward here today on the program, I'm going to do the best that I can in a short period of time to translate to you uh, the implications, why this is so important in a number of different ways. And if you want to dig into this deeper, more deeply, I urge you to get a copy of my book, Out of Egypt, A Prophetic Call to the End Time Church. This book is going to take you through the entire Bible in ways perhaps that you never considered. Because this is the number one theme that ties the entire book, the entire Bible together. That's why it begins in the book of Exodus with the children of Israel having gone into Egypt. And then the rest of the Bible is all about coming out of Egypt. All of it. And you cannot understand even the doctrines of the church properly and completely without understanding their connection to coming out of Egypt. So as you read this book, it's going to open your eyes and your heart. You're going to be quickened in your mind and your heart, in your spirit, and your life is going to change. Your life is going to change because you're going to understand in a deeper way what it really means to walk as an adopted son or daughter of God. The Spirit of Adoption. So, this is a book that's uh, available to you on our website, saveus.org. $15 on our website. And uh, if you want a life-giving book, if you want a book that's going to both educate you and uh, bring about a spirit of transformation for these times, this is the book. My wife happens to think it's the most powerful book I've ever written. I'll leave that up to you to decide for yourself. $15 on our website, Out of Egypt. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Go to the website, saveus.org, saveus.org, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. You're writing a check at $5.00 postage and handling and we're going to get the book in your hands as quickly as we possibly can this isn't about religion friends this is about a life this is about a life in christ what it really means to be in christ what it really means to walk in the freedom and joy of an adopted son and daughter uh, daughter this is why jesus came One of the main reasons he came, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That is, that he might take you out of the house of bondage and give you the opportunity to live in the spirit of adoption like he lives in the spirit of his father. Are you beginning to get the implication here? Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day, if God were your father, you'd love me. Because I proceeded forth from God. I didn't come of myself, but he sent me. So why do you not understand my speech? It's because you cannot hear my word. You know why people can't understand and hear the word of the Lord? Because they're walking in the bondage of the spirit of Egypt. That's why. 
They are so uh, under the enticement. The spirit of Egypt, uh, it's like a boa constrictor that wraps itself around your heart and your mind so that you cannot think godly. So, Jesus said, those who hear my voice will be attuned to my ear, or my voice. Those who have an ear to hear will be attuned to my voice like a son to his father. So, what Jesus says then would click in your spirit, and you'd be able to walk in his ways. But those so-called believing Jews... We're not attuned to his spirit. They didn't get it. And that's why he spoke to them in parables. Now, that may sound strange, but it's true. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today we're talking about what it means to come out of Egypt and to walk in the spirit of adoption. They're not just idle words. It's not just a metaphor. There's a reality to it, a spiritual reality reality to it. Now, you may recall that Jesus told the religious leaders of his day that they could not understand his speech because they could not hear his word. And then he made a daring, even awful statement. He said, you are of your father, the devil. In other words, even though they were the religious leaders, the 71 elders of Israel, the Sanhedrin, even though they were the, the, uh, the head honchos, so to speak, religiously of the Jewish people, revered, they, the period looked to them for spiritual guidance and instruction and wisdom and teaching. But Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil. Now, why would he say that? Because they were walking in the spirit of Egypt. They were Jews, the children of Israel. They were heirs according to the promise. They were Jews who supposedly believed on him. But he said, you're the father of the devil. So apparently these so-called believers only believe so far. To a certain extent. The scripture doesn't tell us how far they did believe. Apparently it was an intellectualized kind of belief of religious information without a corresponding transformation of heart 
like many American Christians today. And that's why there's such fear in the camp. We're walking in the camp of the spirit of Egypt, walking like an Egyptian, as the old song used to say. So let's take a look at some of the legal implications of an adoption. And by looking at some of the legal implications of adoption, we're going to be able to see some of the important spiritual applications, implications of what it means to walk in the spirit of adoption. I know you've been waiting for that to come, and here we are uh, heading into that in this segment of the program. But remember, before the break, I indicated to you that Jesus spoke to them in parables because they would not hear. They were not interested, really, in hearing. Their eyes were closed. Their hearts were closed. He did not speak to them in parables so that they could be more, he could be more easily understood. It was exactly the opposite. So any pastor or parachurch leader that has the gumption to tell you that Jesus spoke in parables to make the gospel easier to understand, they do, they have not read their Bible. Because repeatedly he says, no, I spoke to them in parables because, as Isaiah said, having eyes to see, they see not, having ears to hear, they hear not, lest at any time they should be converted and I should heal them. No, he spoke to them because he wanted to make sure that anyone who was listening was actually listening with their heart. In other words, had ears to hear and hearts to understand. In other words, would press into the kingdom, would seriously seek him with a whole heart, would seek to come out of the spirit of Egypt and walk in the spirit of the promised land. That's what he was looking for. So, that having been said, we take a look at legal implications of the of adoption. The first is a change of name. So the final words of the adoption decrees that I've drafted over years of law practice read, the name of this child shall henceforth be, and then you fill in the name. So adoption brings a change of name. So when God imputed righteousness to Abram for leaving Ur and pursuing the city of God, guess what he did? He changed his name to Abraham, inserting identity from God's own name into Abraham's name. When Abram's grandson wrestled with God for his blessing, God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, declaring, as a prince, have you power with God and with men. So here's the deal. When you and I truly leave the spirit of Egypt, that is Satan's household and dominion, The spirit of Egypt, God calls us by his own name. In fact, he says, I've surnamed you. The whole family of true believers is called by the name of the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3. So because of this adoption, we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. So, But change of name doesn't produce the change of ways. You realize that, of course. 
Some of us either need to change our ways or change our name. Otherwise, we're a disgrace to the kingdom of God. So a child who is adopted into a family but refuses to live according to the word, the will, and the ways of the family is a disgrace to the family and is a repudiation of the very thing that that family tried to do for the child. The same is true for us spiritually. Now, the second thing, the major thing with uh, an adoption is a change of inheritance. So the decree of adoption provides that the adopted child shall henceforth be treated in all respects as the natural child of the adopting parents. So what did the Apostle Paul say? If any man be in Christ, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Well, all things are become new if you walk in the things that are become new. In other words, you're walking in the spirit of that inheritance. But what if you don't? This, this friends, is why we've got to get it together on this planet. Denominational racial division between congregations is untenable in the family of God. How can we say we sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus while divided? We're living in a, both a legal and a relational fiction. It's a spiritual charade. How can we endorse or protect and preserve our Egyptian value system of pride, position, and power and call ourselves walking in the name of the Lord? And that's true for black or brown or white or whatever. Give it up, friends. This is not a call to ecumenism, but a call to embrace the truth. Biblical unity as a manifestation of our genuine adoption to Christ is not birthed in compromise, but it's forged in the anvil of truth. Jesus said, if you will continue in my word as your adopt, my adopted son and daughter, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Doesn't say set you free, it says make you free. The problem is, we have not agreed with God in his word that we might become his disciples indeed. We just haven't. We've been playing a game, a religious game. We want what we want, and we want to walk. We have a hankering for the spirit of Egypt, the ways of the flesh, and are not walking by faith, which is the characteristic of those who walk in the spirit of adoption. Well, the next thing that happens as a result of adoption is a change of authority. With the decree of adoption comes a change of authority. The adopted child now, by law, is no longer subject to the rule or values of the former parent. The legal relationship is severed. Yet, as a practical matter, many adopted children continue to live as if they're still in submission to and dominated by their previous household. That's a serious problem, isn't it? So while the child has every legal right to the perks and provisions of the new household, he refuses to partake, becomes rebellious, breaches the spirit of adoption. And what might be beautiful becomes an abomination. And that's precisely the position of professing Christians in America today. 
right here on the near edge of the second coming. God led us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He adopted us into his family, but we refused to walk in the ways of his household. We love the ways of Egypt. We line up at at God's divine buffet table at his bless me club and pick and choose what we're going to believe, right? So even the family is fractured. The children are famished. The father is pleading with us one last time before his only begotten son return. How about joining my family for sure? How about agreeing with me? How about doing things my way so we can fellowship together? So the question is, will you leave Egypt and come under my authority? That's the issue. All right. So the next thing from a legal standpoint is to look at the benefits of adoption. So the court finds here, these are the words from the adoption decree. The court finds that the interest and welfare of the child will be promoted by this adoption. So here's what God said. In his own adoption decree, listen here to hear his words. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So, you see, God, as a father, has ordained practical benefits to flow to you from your adoption. So if this were not true, friends, if this were not true, then God would have failed to provide for the kids just as Satan did. Think about David. He was called a man after God's own heart. Apparently, he clearly understood those benefits. For instance, in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Hmm. Who healeth all thy diseases, who redeems thy life from destruction, who forgiveth all your iniquities, who crowns you with loving kindness, who satisfies your mouth with good things. Sounds an awful lot like God as Father wants to provide that which Satan did not. Stay tuned, friends. We're not finished yet. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint. If you're just tuning in now or just recently here on the program, 
I urge you to go back and listen to the fullness of today's program on our website, saveus.org, beginning this evening. It'll be up there probably for a year after that, called Dare to Live in the Spirit of Adoption. The reason for that is your life may depend on it. That's true. Your life may depend on it. We're talking about something here today that is so important, so foundational to our understanding of life from God's viewpoint, that if we don't get it, we're going to be like the children of Israel that God took out of Egypt with a mighty hand but never could allow into the promised land. I want you to think about the end-time significance for that. This is not a game. Only those who walk in the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of adoption, are going to inherit the kingdom of God. They're all, only they are going to receive the benefits. That is the remnant, friends. The rest of those religious-oriented people will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, not everybody who says unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to inherit the kingdom of God. Only those who do the will of my Father. In other words, only those who live according to the spirit of adoption in my household, in my Father's household. He said, I obeyed the Father, And now, as the Father sent me, even so I send you. If we want to claim to be heirs of Christ, we have to follow the ways of Christ, the word of Christ, and the will of Christ, because that's the will of the Father. That is the spirit of adoption. Now, we've talked about uh, many different aspects, uh, legal implications, a change of name, a change of inheritance, a change of authority. We're talking about the benefits of adoption now. There's a new inheritance. We've been declared heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. God the Father doesn't lack anything. The earth is the Lord's. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk up rightly doesn't say no good thing will he withhold from those who claim to be adopted it says though no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly in other words who walk according to the spirit of adoption into his family praise the lord when we walk in the spirit of adoption our iniquities are forgiven We're called sons of God. As many as received him, to them he gave authority to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. In other words, those who take his name and live according to the implications of that name. It's not just saying, I believe in the name of Jesus. You can claim to believe in the name of Jesus and walk in the spirit of Egypt. Even the devil believes and trembles. 
I mean, think about it. When Jesus cast out demons and devils in his ministry, guess what? They were the only ones, for the most part, who acknowledged him to be the only begotten Son of God. They cried out. But they were demons. America's style is not a heavenly style. We live in what you might call soft rebellion. But if we really believe and receive, then what the Apostle John said, beloved, now are we the sons of God, has real meaning. Now, there's some other benefits, health and healing, by the way. God's adoption provides a health maintenance plan, not Egypt's disease maintenance plan. All modern rationalizations aside, when when did God repudiate or abrogate his guidelines for our good? You can't find it in his word. So when the Apostle Paul writes concerning the eating of meat or speaks of meat offered to idols and so on, warning against rules of touch not and taste not, he's not talking about not heeding the Father's design concerning our eating. There are reasons why God said, don't eat certain things. Now, if you want to eat those things, go ahead and do them, but you're going to, in a sense, disinherit yourself from the health and healing blessings that God wanted to give you in the spirit of adoption. So can we bless what God calls abomination and cleanse it for healthy use? Are not the diseases of Egypt plaguing American Christians today, causing death like flies in the wilderness of our own rebellion? I mean, think about it. David said he heals all our diseases. Then why do we have so many of them? God said to the children of Israel when he took them out of Egypt, I will take sickness away from the midst of you. If you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and give ear to his commandments, I will put none of these diseases upon you which I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that heals you. Does that mean that Christians will never get sick? No, it doesn't mean that. It's talking about a way of life. Sickness comes by reason of the fall in many respects, but not always. There are things that Christians do, eat, practice, and so on, that do not confirm their adoption in the Father's household. And also, God said he would provide a full supply. In other words... What does the scripture say when it says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus? What do you think that means? When God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he brought them also with silver and gold. He provided for them completely. Even providing them water out of a rock. Even providing them manna from heaven, eating angels' food. So it was a food supply. 
a full supply in every regard, friends. But what I want to focus on here as we uh, are moving toward the end of the program today, I want to go back to where we started. You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, or Daddy, Daddy. So the the psalmist put it this way. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. He's my God. In him, I will trust. So the the spirit of Egypt, excuse me, the spirit of adoption is evidenced by the spirit of the household of God. So, since there are only two households from God's viewpoint, and Jesus chastised the religious leaders of his day for being of their father the devil, what he's asking us to do is to be of the household of faith. That's not just a confession. That is a conformity to the word, will, and ways of the household. The ways of the household of faith are faith that works by love. The Father's words are law in the household of faith. So, consider this. If God's word on all of the issues of life is not law in your life, Are you really, truly in the household of faith? Are you trying to straddle two households? Maybe maybe you're living in God's household one day and in Satan's household the next. What kind of an adoption is that? So that's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those that do the will of my Father which is in heaven. He says, broad is the way that leads to uh, destruction. And many are going to be going therein. But straight or narrow is the way that leads to life. That's the adopted way, friends. The rest is the Egyptian way. God is Father, in the very spirit of adoption, pleads with you and with me to heed and honor his word. Here's what he said in Deuteronomy chapter 32. He said, "It's this is not a vain thing for you. It's your life. He said, my son, in, in Proverbs chapter 4, he says, my son, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart for they are life to those who find them, and health or medicine to all their flesh. So, you, as an adopted son or daughter, walking in the spirit of adoption, have to have left the spirit of Egypt. And you're walking in the words delivered to faithful Joshua, As we move forward into the difficult days that are ahead, and they're going to be more difficult, pressing toward the promised land on the near edge of the second coming. So, what were the words to Joshua? 
Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid. For the Lord your God, he it is that goes before you. He will not fail you, nor forsake you. Fear not, neither be dismayed. We have a choice. Are we walking in the spirit of Egypt or in the spirit of adoption? Are we heading toward the promised land or are we hankering and uh, looking back over our shoulder at the spirit of Egypt where we think we're going to get comfort, we think we're going to get provision, and we're terrified and we're not walking in peace. That's why Jesus said, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, not as Egypt gives. Are you walking in peace? The peace that passeth all understanding that will keep your mind and heart pure in the spirit of adoption before God. That's our choice. And that's why we're told to choose this day that we will fear. But as Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will trust the Lord. We will fear the Lord. We will obey the Lord. We will follow the Lord. We will walk in the spirit of adoption. I hope this has been helpful to you. A bit of an exhortation, teaching, yes, exhortation, practical for our this moment in time, seriously practical for this moment in time. Get a copy of the book, Out of Egypt, to dig in a lot deeper into what it means to come out of Egypt. Oh, friends, this book is absolutely loaded. One guy, uh, a, a guy at the post office told me that he sent a book to his father in San Francisco, and that his father at last count, had read it seven times. It was so loaded, he said. Well, you make the choice. $15 will put the book in your hands on our website, saveus.org. Out of Egypt, a prophetic call to the end time church. Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries at $5 for postage and handling. And seriously, become a partner, friends. This is our moment of truth and opportunity. Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.